Instead of continuing in our, our series of the Gospel of John, we're going to take a little break, a one-week break from John, and I'm going to take you to the Gospel of Luke uh, instead. And we're going to talk this morning about discipleship, really what it means to follow Jesus and how we can position ourselves for a life-changing journey uh, with Jesus. And so if you'll allow me just one week to, to break from the Gospel of John, we will return to it next week. The mission of Imprint, as it is stated right now, is that Imprint exists to make disciples who make disciples. And so, obviously, disciple-making and discipleship is at the core of what Imprint is all about. So discipleship is extremely important, and it's a big word in the church world. Uh, Pastors and church leaders uh, around the nation and around the world are constantly sort of trying to find some method or some way or some new technique or whatever to really make disciples, really disciple people. And so it's, it's a big topic, an important topic, and really it's at the heart of the mission that Jesus gave the church before he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. He said to his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So making disciples is what the church is supposed to be about. That's what the church exists to do. But what does it really mean? What is discipleship really all about? Or to state it more personally, what does it mean for me to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean in your life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? So we're going to get a pretty good idea of what discipleship might look like, or at least its starting place, a kind of a a, a posture of heart and an intention of life uh, for what it looks like to really follow Jesus uh, by looking together at Luke chapter 5 and seeing the story of Simon, sometimes called Peter, Simon Peter. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 5, and we'll read there in just a moment. But just a little bit about who Peter is, uh, Simon Peter is on on the front end here. So um, he's a normal guy, first of all. Um, He's not well-educated. He's not like, you know, socially upper crust. He's just a normal working class guy. He's a fisherman, a common fisherman when he meets Jesus. But he becomes eventually the, the sp- kind of the spokesman for Jesus' inner circle, the 12 disciples. He becomes kind of the, the, the spokesman for the disciples and eventually the leader of the whole world Christian movement. Like during the first century of the church, um, if there was a key leader, it really was Peter. I mean, he was the, the kind of top dog, the, the leader of the, the, the Christian movement within the first century. And if you were to read the first book of church history, which, by the way, is the book of Acts in the New Testament, um, you will find Peter is a very prominent figure, especially within the first nine or so chapters of of the book of Acts. He authors two letters uh, that that would come to be a part of the New Testament. So we have two letters bearing his name, first and second, Peter. Uh, And he eventually gives his life as a martyr for the faith. And so uh, tradition outside of Scripture tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be, he didn't consider himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. And so 
They crucified him upside down. And so he gives his life. He dies because of his faith in Jesus. And I think a question you have to ask when you see this guy, this normal, common, fisherman, uneducated guy, who suddenly becomes this global movement leader who is willing to die for his faith, you have to ask, why? Why would this guy go from this to that? Why would he be willing to give up his entire life and to really use his life for the the purpose of advancing Christ and then to actually lose his life in that very pursuit? And I think the answer is because he had been utterly transformed by Jesus. He was a totally new person based on his encounter with Jesus Christ. And therein really lies the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is all about putting ourselves in a position to allow our lives to be transformed from the inside out by Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship really is all about. It's about life change. It's about transformation into the likeness of Jesus. And so as we look at the example of Simon Peter and how his journey with Jesus began, I think we're going to see an invitation, really, to each one of us to join Jesus in this work of personal and and really global transformation. Remember, because he's calling us to go out and make disciples of all the nations. And so there's a global scope to this. So we have this invitation to join Jesus in this work. And how are we going to respond? Perhaps a better question to begin is, how can I get started in my journey to become a fully devoted, spiritually equipped, missional living follower of Jesus Christ? And so we look today at the example of Simon Peter. Now before we read the text, I feel like we need to, uh, to, to spend just a minute uh, understanding how the gospel accounts kind of work together in portraying the, the story of Simon Peter. Um, if you only read Matthew and Mark, uh, their account of how Peter's discipleship with Jesus began, it sounds almost random. It, it, it's almost like Jesus is walking along and he sees Simon and his brother and he just calls to them, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left and followed him. And you're kind of like, why would he... Why would they be willing to leave everything just because this guy asked them to? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It seems almost just totally random if you only read Matthew and Mark's account, which really are identical to one another. Um, if you were to read Luke, which is where we'll be today, you get some more details. You get more of a sense of the story, how it kind of unfolded and what led him to that place. Um, but you really also have to understand or remember um, what John records. And we actually looked at this several weeks ago when we were early in the in the Gospel of John. John records for us uh, the, the beginning of Simon Peter's journey with Jesus in chapter 1, verses 35 and following. And he's speaking there of John the Baptist, uh, who had this ministry of kind of preparing the way for Christ and pointing people to Jesus. And so John the Baptist has his own disciples, and one of them was a guy named Andrew, who is Simon's brother. And so Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew starts following Jesus. And Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and says, hey, we have found the Messiah. 
And so he brings Simon to Jesus. And when Simon meets Jesus, Jesus says to him, in verse 42 of John 1, it says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, again, this is their first meeting, right? He looks at Simon and he says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Peter, by the way, is the Greek word for rock. So he names him Petros, rock. So upon their first meeting, Jesus kind of gives him a new name. I think sort of inspirationally, prophetically, kind of calling Simon what he's going to become and what Jesus envisions for his life. You will be Peter. So really, so, so the story of Peter's following of Jesus is not as random as it sounds in the Gospel of Matthew. So Simon's brother Andrew is convinced that Jesus was Messiah and persuaded Simon to come and see. Jesus recognized Simon and spoke this kind of inspirational truth into his life. You shall be called Peter. So when Jesus comes onto Simon's boat in Luke 5, where we're going to read in just a second, it's not his first encounter with the Lord. Uh, And his response, which will provide a model for us to follow in our own journey, uh, is really the culmination of the, the person and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus in Simon's life over some period of time. Okay? So I just want you to see that in Luke 5, this is not the first time that Simon has encountered Jesus. And in fact, Jesus has already spoken this kind of prophetic, inspirational truth to him. You shall be called Rock Peter. So let's go to Luke 5 now, and I will read to you verses 1 through 11, and then we'll see three things that we can do to encounter Jesus in a life-changing way. Luke 5, chapter 1. On one occasion, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So what can we learn from Simon Peter's response to Jesus here in this story? How might this story encourage and challenge you and me in our journey with the Lord? I think we learn three steps 
to a life-changing journey with Jesus from Simon's example. Here's the first step toward a life-changing encounter and journey with Christ in discipleship. Put yourself in a position to encounter Jesus. Put yourself into a position to encounter Jesus. So you see Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. So he's walking along the sea, and crowds are following him, and he's beginning to teach, but they're kind of, he's getting close to the edge of the lake. And so Jesus has this idea, hey, there's a couple of boats, I'm going to get out on one of these, move out just a little bit so that I can see all the people, and they're not going to push me into the lake. And so one of them happens to be Simon's. And so Jesus calls to Simon, hey, will you let me get on one of your boats and put out just a little bit from the land so that I can teach the crowd? Now, Simon had been fishing all night and caught nothing. He tells Jesus that. We've been at this all night long and haven't caught anything. So Simon is done, right? His long night shift of fishing is over. He's probably frustrated. He's tired. He wants probably nothing more than just to tie off the boat and go fall into bed, right? But here comes Jesus. Hey, will you let me get on your boat and push out a little bit from the land? Which, by the way, means for however long I'm going to teach people, you don't get to go home, right? And yet Peter says, okay. He lets him do it. And so I think the first thing that, that, that Simon does is he allows himself to be interrupted, right? He's willing to be interrupted because he could have pretty easily said, you know, um, we've had a really long night and could we do this another time? But he doesn't do that. He says, all right, and he lets him get on his boat and puts out from land until Jesus finished speaking. We don't know how long that was. I know that Jesus can be kind of wordy sometimes. So maybe it's a long period of time. But Jesus is preaching to the crowd, and Simon is there in his boat. He allows himself to be interrupted. He also follows Jesus' pretty unusual instructions because when he's done speaking, this would be the time you would think that Jesus would say, hey, man, thanks for letting me use your boat. You can tie it off now and go home, and I'll go my way. But instead of that, he says to Simon, hey, let's go to the deep end and, and, and put out the nets again. Let's go fishing. <laughs> again, they've been fishing all night long. He's exhausted. He didn't catch anything. He's ready to be finished. He's also spent, I don't know how long, with Jesus now, teaching these crowds on his boat. Can we please do this another time? You can join us for our fishing shift tonight, Jesus. We'll try this again later. But he doesn't do that. He does protest a little bit. He says, Lord, we've been toiling all night long and caught nothing. And yet, verse 5, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, is the next phrase, so he obeyed. He did what Jesus asked him to do, even though it was weird, even though it was inconvenient, even though it was out of the way, not what Peter had in mind, not in his Plans, Peter was willing, Simon Peter was willing to be interrupted and to follow Jesus' instructions even though they were a little unusual. I wonder sometimes in our own lives if we're willing to be interrupted. I know it's, it's easy for me to be so focused on where I'm headed or what I'm working on or what needs to get done that, that something that comes out of left field and invites my attention or needs my help or whatever seems like I cannot possibly give my time to this, right? I need to just keep my head down and just keep moving 
forward. And I wonder sometimes if we're not paying enough attention to know whether Jesus might be calling us aside. Hey, can I get into your boat for a little bit? Now, chances are Jesus isn't going to walk into your living room and go, hey, you got a minute? So it's, it's going to come in different ways, right? If Jesus is calling us aside, if Jesus is asking us to be interrupted for his purposes, it'll, it'll come through, through conversations or through someone who, who needs a hand with something when you're already on your way to do something else or um, so, something that just comes up or an idea that, that you have or, or a desire that, that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart uh, to, to call somebody or to pray for somebody or or to help somebody in some way. So maybe there are things that Jesus is kind of trying to call us toward. And this isn't what you had planned today, but would you spend a little bit of time over here? And I think sometimes we are so busy, we're so focused, that we kind of push that voice aside. No, I don't, I don't think so. And so we have to learn to be willing to stop and say, maybe Jesus has something for me to do or to say or to learn or some way to serve him through this experience. And so I think we learn just from watching Simon, who's tired, frustrated, easily could have gone, why don't we do this another time? He's willing to be interrupted. He lets Jesus sort of direct his steps, even when he's, it's not his idea. But I think there's another point to make here too. Let me ask you a question. So who is primarily responsible for this large catch of fish? Who's responsible for bringing all these fish into their nets so their boats are sinking? It's Jesus, right? I think Simon's ingenuity or like he suddenly had a great idea or like why don't we try fishing on this side of the boat instead and that suddenly worked. This is Jesus doing the heavy lifting, right? Because they've been doing this all night long and caught zero, right? So all Simon did was put his net in the water. All he did was follow Jesus' instructions. Jesus said, let's go out to the deep end, let's put the nets out, and Simon said, all right. And he put the net in. And Jesus filled that net beyond the net's capacity, beyond his boat's capacity, beyond his partner's boat's capacity, right? So John and James have now come over to try to help, and they're trying to fill the fish, uh, the boats with the fish, and the boats are cracking and sinking under the weight of these fish. This is a lot of fish, where all night long there'd been nothing. So clearly, this is the work of Jesus. This is the work of a sovereign, powerful king. This is the work of someone who has authority over fish and waves and nature. And Jesus is doing the heavy lifting. But Simon had to put his net in the water. And I think it's the same thing with discipleship. When it comes to the, the hard work of life transformation, because listen, changing a heart is not easy. Changing a life is not quick and simple. It's hard work. But the heavy lifting is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the New Testament tells us that all over the place, that it's him at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2.13. And so God is the one who's doing the heavy lifting in our journey of life change. But we've got to be willing to put our nets in the water. We've got to be willing to give Jesus an opportunity to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us, to fill us. So anything that you are doing to put yourself in a position to receive from the Lord is a putting of your net in the water. 
So if you're starting your day by praying or, or reading the Bible, even for just a few minutes, think of that as putting your net in the water, giving Jesus an opportunity. Uh, if you're using your commute to work, to listen to a sermon or to listen to worship music that kind of focuses your heart or whatever, you're just putting your net in the water. Squeezing in another church meeting or another Bible study group, saying prayers throughout the day as needs and, and ideas and dreams come into your mind. All of those things are just a putting of your net into the water, giving Jesus an opportunity to do in your life what only he can do. Because you can't change your own heart. If discipleship is about life change, heart change, you can't do that. That work is God's alone. But you can put your net in the water. You can give Jesus an opportunity to speak, to challenge, to grow, to encourage. So give Jesus an opportunity to, to fill you, to shape you, to lead you, and to change you. So the first thing we see Simon doing is putting himself in a position to encounter Jesus. And I think we have to do the same thing in our own journey with Jesus, day to day, moment to moment. Put yourself in a position to encounter Jesus. Here's the second thing you can do. See your desperate spiritual need. This is hard because we don't like to think of ourselves as needy. We don't like to think of ourselves as weak. But we are. Simon became very aware of his spiritual need and his brokenness when he saw this work that Jesus performs. Look in verse 8. So after Jesus has done this amazing thing and they've caught all these fish and the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking, verse 8 says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is interesting. You might expect excitement, amazement, joy. Like, I'm going with you. Let's see more of that. Right? Oh, man, think of how much money we can make in the fishing business with this dude on our boat. Right? You might think of him as going like, this is awesome. This is what we've been waiting for. But the truth is, Simon finds himself broken in the presence of Jesus' majesty and power, falling at his knees and pleading for Jesus to leave him. I wonder if we saw Jesus perform a powerful miracle right in front of our eyes. How many of us would have the response, go away. Get out of my presence, because I'm a sinner. We don't think that way. We usually think, I want more of that. Let me see more. That's cool. That's great. And in fact, people all over the world in worship services are, are, seem to be kind of seeking all the time like this encounter with God and this experience with God. And let's sing more and pray more until we feel the presence of God. And it's like what we're after is some kind of kind of emotional jolt or kind of a spiritual high and this like joyful feeling, but I, I don't see a whole lot of brokenness coming in those gatherings. I don't see a whole lot of people repenting and falling on their knees and going, go away, Jesus. This is too much for me to bear. 
But really, Simon's response to Jesus here, when he sees this incredible act of power, falling on his knees and saying, go away, is very similar to the response of the prophet Isaiah, who God called to speak his word to the people of Israel during their time of exile in Babylon. Isaiah, in in chapter 6 of of, uh, the book bearing his name, has this incredible vision of the presence of God in his throne room. And it says that the train of his robe filled the whole temple and smoke filled the room. And when he spoke, the foundations of the temple shook and there were angels everywhere crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's this incredible, powerful, high and lofty scene of the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. And when Isaiah speaks in response, he he calls down prophetic curses upon himself. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In the presence of the vastness and the holiness and the majesty and the power of God, he found himself broken. This kind of awareness is what really we need in our life. We need to see a vision of the holiness of God that leads us to a spiritual brokenness, a a humility, a a recognition of our need for him. You know, there's there's an interesting detail about Simon's name here that I think is very cool. So up to this point in the story, Luke has only called him Simon. He doesn't tell us the part about, you know, Jesus having met him before and saying, you shall be called Peter, right? Rock. Luke just introduces, introduces him as Simon. Jesus saw a boat, one of them was Simon's, so he called to Simon, let me get on the boat. So in verses 3, 4, and 5, uh, Luke just calls him Simon. Until verse 8, when he has witnessed this act of power from Jesus, and then he responds. Look at verse 8 again. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. When Simon Peter saw it, Luke only refers to him by his new name, Rock, at the moment that his eyes were opened to who Jesus was. It would be the same Rock of Peter's confession in, uh, in Luke 9.20. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon which Jesus said he would build his church. So Luke seems to think that Simon really only becomes Peter, the rock, at the moment that his eyes are open to see the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, and he finally starts to live into his calling that Jesus had said of him at the beginning. I think that's really interesting. He's just Simon up until the moment he sees who Jesus is, and he is aware of his brokenness in the light of Jesus' holiness. And at that moment, Luke starts calling him Peter. That's the rock this recognition of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. The great uh, French theologian John Calvin said, Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. Because I think we tend to look at other people. We tend to have this horizontal view of ourselves, and we can look at that guy over there or that lady over there and go like, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? But, you know, but I'm, I'm better than that guy. I'm not doing what he's doing. 
My marriage isn't like that marriage. My kids aren't like those kids. Like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well considering all the people that I'm looking at, right? And we start to sound a little bit like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. See, in Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Pharisee would be the religious elite, the expert on the law. This guy has it all together, is following God perfectly. And the tax collector is outcast, sinner, lowest of the low, right? Everybody despises this guy. And so the Pharisee and the tax collector come to the temple to pray. And when the Pharisee goes into the temple, he kind of boasts about his spiritual resume. Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. I give a tithe of all that I receive, and I fast, and I pray. Thank you that I am not like other men, like this tax collector over here, like that loser. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this guy. And the tax collector, he won't even go all the way into the temple. He stands far off, and he won't even raise his head. He's looking down at the ground, and it says that he's beating his breast, which is a sign of, of contrition and repentance, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus asked his audience, which of those do you think went home justified? That is, right with God. And it's not the Pharisee. It's not the guy with the impressive spiritual resume. It's the tax collector who is broken and knows it. It's the one who comes into the presence of God with an awareness of his need and comes with empty hands and says, Lord, I have nothing to bring you. Have mercy. Fill me. Help me. That's the one that Jesus says is justified before God. Let me ask you, have you been touched and affected, to use Calvin's language, by your lowliness? Have you seen a vision of the majesty and power and worthiness of God that's left you desperate for his grace? Or are you still pointing to your spiritual resume, like the Pharisee in Luke 18? Thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, lest this start to get really depressing and become just sort of browbeating and self-loathing, like, oh, I'm just a worm and a wretch, Jesus doesn't let Peter stay in that place for very long. His response to Jesus is, get away from me because I'm a sinner. And he's in that place of brokenness and recognizing his sin and his need. But the patience and tenderness of Jesus in response to Simon's brokenness is beautiful. He says, look in verse 9. Excuse me, it's actually down in verse 10, middle of verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So Peter's brokenness was the right starting place, a necessary realization. But Jesus knew that in order for Peter to take the next step, to start living into the calling that Jesus had for him, to become Peter, the rock upon which he would build his church, he knew that he had to answer those fears. He knew that he had to meet him in his place of brokenness and assuage those, those fears before he would take that next step. And so with a gentle reassurance, don't be afraid, and a forward-looking, compelling vision, from now on, you'll be catching people. Jesus meets Peter right in the midst of that brokenness and calls him up. Don't be afraid. I'm going to change you. You're going to be different. I'm going to use you. Your life is going to have 
a purpose and a meaning. And this leads us to the third way that in following Simon Peter's example, we can position ourselves for a life-changing encounter and journey with Jesus, and that is leave everything to follow him. Leave everything to follow Jesus. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And from that moment, Simon Peter is with Jesus all the way. He obviously stumbles later, has dark moments, but he is with Jesus, and he leaves it all. He'd seen enough from his brother's insistence that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for to Jesus' prophetic, inspirational renaming of Simon to Peter to Jesus' demonstration of sovereign power over the natural world to the gentle reassurance that Jesus gave him in answer to his fears and the vision that Jesus had for shaping him into something new. No response made sense to Simon except to drop his nets, leave everything behind, and follow this Jesus. I wonder today, what are you hanging on to that's keeping you from going after Jesus all the way? What might the Lord be calling you to leave behind? Simon Peter left behind a fishing business, a home and a family, the knowledge of what tomorrow was going to look like. He left all that behind and went, I've got to be with Jesus. What are you hanging on to? Maybe it's, maybe it's just plain old sin. Maybe it's a sinful habit, an addiction, a rut that you're stuck in, something that keeps you bound up and distant from God. Maybe it's something that you just need to stop and you need his help. And Jesus is saying, just leave it. Leave it behind. Maybe it's a tradition, sense of family obligation. Maybe it's a stubborn belief that you have to measure up before you can really start your journey with Jesus. And he would say, just give up your efforts to measure up because it ain't going to happen. Because you're broken, just like Simon Peter was aware. You're not going to measure up. That's what Jesus came to do was to fulfill the law and to take your sin and to defeat death so that you wouldn't have to do that stuff because you can't. So maybe Jesus is saying to you, just quit your striving to get yourself right with God. Just follow me. Maybe it's not anything sinful. Maybe it's, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your sense of, con- of, of con- your concern you know, for comfort and security and, and knowing what comes next. Whatever it is that you need to leave behind today, I have good news. Jesus is ready to receive you. Jesus is waiting with open arms to take you into his heart, to welcome you into his family, to lead you on the road toward personal transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, new things have come. That's the good news. The good news is we don't have to be who we've always been because Jesus can make us something new if we'll just come to him. So because Jesus took up obedience to God's law on your behalf and because Jesus bled and died on a cross for your sins and rose from the grave securing life and eternity for all who would trust in him, Jesus' invitation to Peter all those years ago is the very same invitation that he gives to each of us now. Come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men.